Welcome to the Pencil to Pencil podcast with your hosts, Brett Blevins, Jamar Nicholas, and me, Mike Manley. This week, we talk with veteran comic artist June Brigman. From Power Pack for Marvel, which she co-created with Louise Simonson, to classic comic strips such as Brenda Starr and her current assignment, Mary Worth, June also has a new comic entitled Captain Ginger, which is published by Ahoy Comics and inked by her husband, Roy Richardson. We catch up with June from her studio near Atlanta, Georgia. Hello. Hello, June. Mr. Manley, how are you? Good, good. How are you? I'm good, just, you know, the usual, sitting here at the drawing board. Um, so you, you've saved me from, you know, probably looking at Facebook or something to take a break. Um, <laughs> so I'm very grateful for that. <laughs> well, well, uh, uh, we'd like to welcome June Brigman to the, to the Pencil to Pencil podcast. And my co-hosts, uh, Brett and Jamar, are here, too. Hello. Hey, Hi, Brad. June. Hi, June. How oh are you? Oh, my gosh. I'm great. How are you? Uh, and I'm, hey, Jamar. I'm, hey, June. How are you? I don't think we've met, but uh, it's a pleasure to no. talk to you. Yeah, you too. I love your. I love that, that, that kid you do, Leon. I just, oh. I love that, that, that book. It's great. Oh, my God. I'm blessing. Stop it. Thank you. <laughs> so are you on your... Sunday night deadline for Monday, or this is just a regular work day? No, it's just kind of a, a regular work day. Um, actually, I'm like two panels away from finishing issue number five of Captain Ginger. So that's probably what I will do um, after we hang up, is finish that. And then tomorrow it'll be back to Mary Worth for a couple of days. And then after that, it'll be back to... Captain Ginger, so <laughs> that's that's pretty much my life. Oh, I, I which think is that's, good. Which yeah, is good. Yeah, I think that's every cartoonist's life, especially the strip people, because it's basically it's like you can get on the treadmill and just run forever. You can never get far enough ahead. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's you're in constant hamster treadmill mode. Um, but you know, there's that's that's okay. It's okay. It's better, you know. It's better than sitting around. You know, you're either you're either worried about deadlines or you're worried about not having deadlines. And I definitely prefer the former. <laughs> true, true. Mm -hmm. So, so why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Captain Ginger? Uh, Captain Ginger is a book that um, I co-created with the writer Stuart Moore, um, and Stuart and I. We worked together before um, for a company called Tishkeel. That uh, it's a company that was based in Kuwait and published comics in the Middle East, uh, which was interesting to say the least. Um, but that was that was the first time we had worked together, and um, he came up with the, with the idea for Captain Ginger, and he he thought of me because there was a job we had done when we were working at, together at Tishkeel where he had written in a scene that um, took place at, like, a, a cat sanctuary or cat rescue organization. And, you know, that requires drawing a bunch of cats. And I guess he thought I was good at drawing bunches of cats. So he thought of me for this book. Um, and we did a proposal. I did, like, seven pages of art, which um, my husband, Roy Richardson, 
inked and um, the lovely colors Veronica Gandini colored. And uh, we put that together, and that was like back, um, that was about five years ago. And Stuart started shopping it around, and there were um, there was a lot of interest, a lot of, um, you know, interest but no bites. And then, um, uh, I guess, maybe is it two years ago now or a year? I don't know. It's all a blur. Um, Ahoy Comics came along. It's a new company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they picked it up, which was great because we were we were thinking about kickstarting it, and uh, I, I I'm sorry, but I really wasn't looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're we're really we're really grateful if I picked it up. But it's a story. It's basically I, I I guess if I were pitching it, I would say it's um, very much like Star Trek, but with cats. <laughs> um, well, and, and but it's it, it, it's not it's not it's not a kids book. It's really not. Not that there's any sex and violence. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's just that it's a little, you know, like Star Trek, it, it, it's as complex as, you know, the best episodes of Star Trek, I think. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think maybe uh, uh, young readers might like it, but a lot of people are like, ooh, my, my kids love cats. I'm sure they'll love this book. I'm like, well, maybe not. You want to <laughs> take a closer look at it first. Um but yeah, and Ahoy's published, they published four issues, and um, I guess it did well enough, and people liked it enough that they're, they're doing six more. Oh, that's so, great. Uh, that's yeah, great. That's awesome. yeah, it is. It's great. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really pleased about that, because I, I love drawing the book, and Stuart is just you know, such a dream to work with, and they're a great company, so it's, it's worked out really well. And I, and I know that one of the things that, people like you and, and me that it, and Brenda came from comic books is when you do a comic strip it's very restrictive and so like probably going back into working on a comic book feels like wow I've got all this room to, <laughs> to play around with yeah it's it's you know I mean don't get me wrong very grateful for Mary Worth very grateful but it always feels like you know eating your vegetables so you can have dessert Mm-hmm. Um, Mary Worth being the vegetables, Captain Ginger being the dessert. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Well, and and I mean, you're not a stranger too to doing comic strips because you did uh, uh, Brenda Starr from '95 until sometime in 2011 when they uh, canceled right. the strip. So uh, you've worked on two, cl- uh, I guess, uh, classic comic strips. Um, yeah, I mean, um, uh, very different. I mean, they're both, sure, comic strips in that, as you said, that kind of limited format. Um, but different subject matters, um, you know, two very different writers to work with, um, different audience. Um, different syndicate. I love, yeah, different syndicate, different syndicate, but same old deadlines. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was coming coming around back around to comic strips after doing um, you know, we did Brenda, I say we, um, my husband Roy Richardson and I um, produced Brenda Starr, and, and we're doing Mary Worth. I, I do pencils. He does the rest. He inks letters and colors the Sunday pages. Um, wow. So, you know, when we started Brenda, we didn't really know what we were in for. But um, Mary Worth was different. I mean, we did Brenda for 15 years, so when we started Mary Worth, we realized that it was like, 
you know, it's not like you're just going on a date. It's like you're getting married. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a very long-term relationship. Yes, and sometimes a marriage is complicated. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. marriages have their ups and downs, and sometimes you want to get a divorce, but then you, you know, stay together for the children or something like that. <laughs> well, would would you stay say together that... for the checks? <laughs> yes, yes, to feed the to feed the fur children. So, yes. yes. Well, it's funny because I mean, you also have a plethora of uh, uh, a pride, I guess, of cats there uh, that you have. So I guess, Captain Ginger, you have plenty of models wandering around that you can use. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I call it the bestiary. Um, (laughs) Well, when you mentioned the uh, cat sanctuary before, I was thinking you actually live in one, so you have endless amounts of reference. Yeah, I I pretty much do. Um, Yes, if you must know, the number is 10. So I, I think that, yeah, when you start to get into the double digits, you're pretty much in crazy cat lady territory. <laughs> uh, so, but you know, I figure now that I'm doing Captain Ginger, I can write off the cat litter. Oh, that's at the business expense. So <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> and do they? Are they? Like I have two, and only two. I only have two. <laughs> Only which two. is which is enough sometimes. Um, are I all of that. your cat are all your cats social? Do like they some of them pay really pay attention to you and check on you several times a day to see what you're doing? Because my two cats do that. Oh, uh, they're I mean they're all very social with Roy and I. Um, in fact, I, it's I a lot of times if it's well the closer it gets to feeding time, the more my studio will fill up mm-hmm. with cats because mm. they know I I'm the feeder. Um, but yeah, they're, they're all really very social with Roy and I, and you know, it's, and it isn't just about food, you know, I'll, I have one cat, Betty, who has, who, who, who wants me to play. She has her favorite toy and she'll follow me around the house with it in her mouth sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then sometimes I'll be sitting at the drawing board and I'll feel a little tap on my leg and I'll look down and it's Betty with her toy and I have to play with her. Um, so, you know, most of the time they're pretty good company. Sometimes they're annoying company. Uh, but, you know, they're my studio mates and my friends, and we talk. I probably talk to them a little too much. I, <laughs> I sometimes think I need to get out more. June, do you have any studio rules about um, cats on the table or things like that? Well, my my drawing board, uh, my drafting table is at a very extreme angle. Uh, uh, so cats, <laughs> it's almost like easel, like you know the angle you would keep an easel yeah. at. And but if I, you know, I the rare times I get to do any painting, mm-hmm. uh, I have to, I have to you know shut the door and and I have to they have to stay out. Yeah, yeah, because cat cats and paint is just is not a good idea. No, no. I just got a dog, and this is my first dog, and we have a cat. And uh, all my friends around me uh, started saying, "Hey, I never saw you as a dog person. We always thought you were a cat person." Before that moment, I had never realized that they're types, right? <laughs> like you, either you're one or the other. It seems like, or you just love animals, but. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, they're 
there are certain there's a there are stereotypes, I guess, between dog people and cat people. I mean, listen, okay. I, I love dogs, and I, I'm an auntie to several uh, several dogs, uh, and but you know, and I would love I would love to have a dog, but mm. maybe you know the cat herd just has to thin out. Some mm. you know, it, it's a lot of animals. Yeah. So, so uh, do you have a typical work day when you're working on Captain Ginger versus a typical work day when you're working on the strip? Mm-hmm. I I think it's pretty much all work day. Um, I can't say that one is different from another. I probably look at Facebook a little bit more when I'm drawing Mary Worth, um, <laughs> just <laughs> because I get a little bit bored and that kind of breaks things up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, no, it's pretty much, you know, I get up, I, I we usually get up about 7.30 and I putter around and, you know, we'll do like some house chores until I am more w- awake and my eyes start to focus and, you know, have some breakfast and coffee, have another cup of coffee and then, you know, get to the drawing board about, you know, I'll look at my email. I'll get to the drawing board about 9.30, um you know, have have some lunch, have some dinner. Mm. Um, after dinner, go back to the drawing board for a couple of hours. I start to fade after dinner, especially mm-hmm. if I've had a glass of wine or something. It's like, you know, <laughs> maybe a couple more hours. Then stop and uh, maybe watch a movie or, you know, a Netflix show or something. Then mm. That's pretty much my day. Mm. Do you have um, kind of like a, a different parts of your day where you're kind of parsing out the creative like I know that I do more writing during the day and I can focus more on the drawing later in the afternoon or you just crank all the time well I mean because I I'm, I really only do the one step in a comic mm-hmm, book mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not a writer um, I sometimes have ideas for stories or characters or bits or pieces but I'm not a writer, mm. and um, I like inking, but about the only time I'll ink something is if I'm just doing, you know, a, a single illustration or maybe a cover, um, mm-hmm. and I leave the inking to Roy. So I pretty much just, I start my day by drawing, and I end my day by drawing, so... Yeah, not not. It, it sounds really boring, I guess. Not a lot of creative variety. Well, uh, do you do you do you lay out a whole issue or chunks of pages at a time? No, mm-hmm. I don't have. I I have always admired people who can lay out a whole issue in one mm-hmm. in one sitting. I've never been able to do that. Mm-hmm. I just don't have the creative stamina to do that. I'll lay out a scene at a time, mm-hmm. and that and that's about it. Uh, I mean, of course, I'll sit and read read the whole script, and you know, so I, I I know what's coming up, but I I really only do a few pages at a time, and then I'll draw complete, you know, pencil those pages, and then lay out a few more. Okay, so you so you sort did of you, pace did yourself. You, did you work that way also when you were working from plots at Marvel too? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I'm just wondering because Marvel, yeah, that's a good question. Marvel style plots uh, would would be more difficult to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, gosh, I think maybe 
at that time, it, it kind of depended on the writer. Um, like working with with <laughs> with Louis Simonson with Weezy, um, her her plots were more fleshed out, you know, so I could get away with just kind of breaking down a scene at a time. Um, I think what I would do with other writers is I would go through and read it and get some idea of how many pages each scene was going to take um, and maybe write, you know, little notes, okay, this scene, I'm going to need three pages, this scene, probably about four. And I think it, I, I, at that time I did try to, I think I did try to thumbnail the whole thing. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, it's been a while. I've kind of forgotten that. Well, didn't you just but, do you something know, with Wheezy? Didn't you just do a power pack thing with Wheezy? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, and her plots are, they're, I really like working from her plots because they're kind of like, they're, they're not quite full script. Um, they're pretty fleshed out. I mean, she she breaks it down page by page, panel by panel. But like, you, she couldn't hand it over over to a letterer. She hasn't. She doesn't have all the word balloons mm-hmm. and um, captions and thought balloons all all figured out yet. And um, you know, I I've always worked when we're, I'm working with her. I always feel like I have a good bit of leeway if. You know, there's some panels, if there's like two panels and I want to combine it into one, or there's one panel and I want to spread it out into two, um, I, I, she gives you, she gives the artist a little more freedom to control the pacing. Um, so I, I really, I really like working that way. Um, Stuart is different. What Stuart gives me is, is full script. Um, everything's nailed down, ready to go. But... Uh, luckily, Stuart has a really great visual sense, and he has a, a great sense of pacing and beats and never asks me to cram too much in to a page or panel. So, um, you know, it, it's, um, it, it's not really restrictive. It just feels, what he writes really feels very natural. Mm. Um, so, so it's nice. Yeah, I did a graphic novel with Stuart of um, Brian Jake's Redwall, and mm-hmm. he did a wonderful job of breaking the pacing down. Like you say, he knew exactly how to link the scene to a visual. It's very clear. Yeah, yeah, and that just makes um, that just makes it so much easier. You know, you, you, it's you know, it's so nice when you get a a writer who knows what they're doing, um, not just in characters and dialogue, but in and pacing and um, how to break a story down. It just it just makes your life much, much easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's, for me, one of the biggest difficulties and differences between doing the strips and doing comics is that in comics you can kind of shove something to another page or you can mm-hmm. you have more, you can play around with the real estate, but, you know, if the writer on the strip writes in too much which he's done a few times i've actually had to have him rewrite dialogue because i would actually rough it out and then i would put all the dialogue in and then i would send it to him and go like see i've got like this little bit of space down here at the bottom yeah Mm -hmm. you know and i think that um it takes a while to gain that skill uh to know how to operate between those two different uh, 
formats. And and like I said, the comic strip is the most restrictive because you always have the most finite amount of space. You can't say, well, I'm going to shove this down onto another page. That's like another day. Right, right. And then sometimes yeah. it works and sometimes it it uh, doesn't work. It was it was that was an adjustment for me going in from comics um even though I was very familiar with comic strips and loved comic strips and collected comic strips and studied comic strips, it was actually still different working in that in that format. So do you was there a learning curve on say Brenda Starr? I'm I'm sure there wasn't as as much going on to 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 Mary Worth, although I don't know. Did you study what had come before, or did you feel sort of like, ah, oh, the hell with it. This is my strip. Nobody will care. <laughs> uh, I'm just going down the yeah. road. No, no. I mean, uh, I mean, both in both cases on Brenda and and Mary Worth, um, my predecessors were really good artists. I mean, uh, I took over Brenda's star from Ramona Frayden. Right, and then I took over Mary Worth from Joe Giella, and so I I, I did look at, at what both of those artists had had done and and how they used the format, um, and I, when I took over Brenda, at first I did try to kind of copy Ramona, but it was just too hard. It was really slowing me down, mm-hmm. and so I gradually changed. I mean, there were some things about her drawing that I kept, the way she drew certain characters I, I tried to maintain, but I, I gradually kind of, you know, went with my own style. And um, the, the same with Mary Worth. I, I would look at the way, like, Joe had done her hair, and at first I, I, I kind of tried to do it like Joe, but it just didn't feel, you know, I wasn't very comfortable with it. So I, I, I kind of moved into my own style a little more quickly with Mary Worth because I realized after doing Brenda that I could. I could do that and get away with it. And, now, did the syndicate um, ask you to uh, try to, you know, s- softly morph? Because I know when I took over Judge Parker, Edward Barreto had done it before me. And, mm-hmm. of course, then Harold Ledoux had done it for like 50 years before Eduardo. And so they actually asked Eduardo to sort of try to mimic Harold's, Ledoux's work. Mm-hmm. And then he sort of went in and then it was Eduardo's. And I sort of tried a little bit of mimicking Eduardo before I fully went into doing the thing on on my own, which has changed even since I, I, I've started to a degree because Woody Wilson was a different writer than uh, Francesco, so yeah, um, I don't know if that if the syndicate they, they in my case they actually asked me to try to slightly ape the previous artist style because mm-hmm. they're always afraid that you know someone will look at the newspaper and go, "Hey, wait a minute, that doesn't look like my Dondi. I'm canceling my <laughs> <Right>. subscription." <laughs> right, right. Uh, I I can't remember with Brenda. Um, I I'm trying to rem- I, I you know like I said at first I was I was imitating Ramona and then I I 
kind of gradually shifted into my own style. I, I can't remember. They certainly didn't direct me. They didn't really give me any directions. Oh, the only direction they gave me is at one point they said that Brenda needed to be sexier. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and I get I get and, the uh, opposite. I get the opposite. I get them saying, you've made the girls too sexy, so you have to... Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah I, I I started putting. I don't know. I think I was dressing at the time. I think I was dressing Brenda too much like me. There was a little more, a little too much Eddie Bauer. I needed to be a little more Victoria's Secret or something. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> you made her too um, practical. Mm. Yeah, yeah, a little too practical. Even though she's a reporter, um, and with, with Mary Worth, there was no direction, but there was a lot of. The, the way I was drawing Mary, it took a while for me to settle in with that. There was a lot of back and forth between me, um, uh, um, the, the, the syndicate, which was, was um, um, well, that was Brendan. It was Brendan. It was Brendan, Brendan Burford. It was right. Brendan Burford and, and Karen Moore, the writer, um, at first, she was too old. Then she was too young. She was too thin. She was too fat. And then there was the whole the whole bun controversy. Uh, Brendan kept kept saying that Mary Worth had wore her hair in a bun. Hmm. And I'm looking at Joe's stuff, and I'm like, I don't see a bun. And he was like, Well, she, Joe keeps it pretty well hidden. I was like, It must be an invisible <laughs> bun because I, I, there's no bun. <laughs> and bun finally, <laughs> finally, Joe, Joe, bless his heart, stepped in and said, There's no bun. And I think there hadn't been a bun in like thirty years. I don't know. It was weird. <laughs> you mean like a like um, an aunt, like an Aunt May bun, like the little bun on top of the head, kind of right? Thing? That right. Or I think it was like maybe it was more like at the at the base of the skull, that sort of bun. Okay. You know, like like yeah, like right at the base of the skull. Um, so, but then that finally settled down, and and you know, of course, the the readers you know hated on me for a while, and then I guess they just gave up or got used to me or something. So. <laughs> Uh, now I, I pretty much, Mary Worth does look, she does look younger. She does. Um, I'm not even sure. I, I, I assume she's probably about 70, but she looks probably more like, probably like my age, like in her fifties. So, uh, also, you know, what people looked like at 50 in the fifties was much older than the way people look now. Oh, yeah. You know. That's what I figure because I mean I have I have friends who are seventy who look great, you know they look twenty years younger. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know she's just a little more modern looking. Yeah, it's funny because you know when you're doing a legacy strip, you you uh, and it and also a legacy strip that is a realistic strip as opposed to I don't know Wizard of Id, which is mm-hmm. you know he's always going to be those simple shapes, you know right. that kind of right. that kind of a thing. When you're doing a, a realistic strip, one of the things I face on the judge was that, like, the way their kitchen is set up is this weird, you know, thing with plants in it and all this stuff that, like, probably looked really great in, like, 1965, but now mm-hmm. looks, like, really bizarre. Yeah. But yeah. then how much do you stretch because the people who have been reading it for a long time go... This is my my. This is what Mike 
uh, what Steve Romper and Mike Nomad have always looked like, and you gave him a cowlick going the other way or something, and then they get right, very, right. You know, I had a lady write me from the very beginning. She didn't like the fact that uh, Sophie, the youngest daughter, was older, and mm-hmm. um, you know, because she'd been reading it since the beginning, and it was a very conscious thing on the part of Woody and and Brendan to want to make Sophie older because she was a teenager when she was introduced in the strip in like 1982. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's, she's, you know, she's 45 now, <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, right. and then like they are using cell phones right. and, you know, uh, he's driving, uh, Sam is driving a Corvette. So I made it like I had to set the rule for myself. I don't know if you've done this on Mary Worth, if it's like in this sort of alternate contemporary time so Sam drives a 2010 Corvette, but they have okay. iPhones, but they, and they have modern iPhones. And one of the decisions when Woody Wilson left was that they wanted to introduce seasons because one of the things that he did was he never showed it being winter mm-hmm. or summer because that would mean, oh, people are actually now going to get older. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. if you're a teenager... Right. And all of a sudden, you're in tenth grade. Eventually, you're going to have to graduate. So I guess you kind of skip that on Mary because she's like a retired sleuth, busybody kind of person. So yeah, and and she lives. Um, Santa Royal is basically like San Diego. It's California, so well, there's not really going to be any seasons. Mm. Um, and I think I'm tra- I think she was already using cell phones when I picked up the strip. Um, I I always draw cell phones, not not flip phones, just you know like an iPhone. Right. Um, she has a laptop computer, and uh, her car. She drives a Toyota Camry. Uh, a late model Toyota Camry. Um, another character drives a, a Mini Cooper. Um, let's see, other modernizations, the clothing, I, I, I always draw her in an infinity scarf, I mm. don't know, it just seems like a good old lady type of piece of clothing, uh, and, and also you do so many, like, medium close-ups, I always, tr- I try to think of maybe something to do around the collar that's interesting, mm-hmm. um, you don't get a lot of practice drawing feet, in these comic strips, you know, um, it's, it's, it's also because I'm working, I, I can't even remember what dimensions I'm working at, but it's pretty small because, you know, it's being, if, if it's in a newspaper, it's going to be the size of a, of a, of a, um, postage stamp. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I, unless I'm drawing a close up of somebody's feet, not a lot of feet being drawn. Um, <laughs> no, it's no. Just, yeah, you know, it's just. I mean, there, there, I, I think there's two challenges with doing a comic strip. One is the format, and two is trying to find ways to entertain yourself. Uh, you, you have to try to find some way to make it somewhat interesting, or else, uh, you know, you, you're just going to want to hang it up. Well, I also and, think uh, it's different too if you're like Charles Schultz, and you are creating the thing from whole cloth yourself. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that would make a, a big difference. Um, because once it, you, you can, you know, make your own universe. 
Um, and it, it is, I think, more difficult working with someone else's creation and, and universe. But, you know, I, I like the characters. Um, Karen Moy is, uh, you know, a, a very easy writer to work with. And, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a paycheck. And there's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot to be said for that. Did you read strips growing up? Were you into comic strips oh, at all? Oh sure, oh sure, oh sure. Yeah, I read I read Brenda Starr growing up. I read the Phantom growing up. Uh, mainly because he had a horse and a dog. Uh, <laughs> I think that was that was a, the the main draw for reading the Phantom. Um, but I would read um, Barney Google, Snuffy Smith. Um, I would read. I read Brenda Starr. I read the Phantom, Funky Winker Bean. Funky. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember. You know, Peanuts, Dagwood and Blondie. Uh, those were all in. I, I grew up in Atlanta, and those were all in the um, Atlanta Journal Constitution. So every Sunday morning, uh, I would I would sit there with the funny papers, have my you know Cheerios, and and read the strips. Did no? Did you read comic books as well? No, I did not. Uh, it wasn't that uh, my parents forbade me or anything like that. I just wasn't interested. I, if I had, you know, if I had seen a comic book about uh, a girl and her horse and cats and dogs, I probably would have read that. Mm-hmm. But I just, I just really wasn't interested. Uh, I did not look at a comic book until um, I was, I was dating Roy. And he, you know, was into comics and had a big collection and, uh, you know, was showing me some of his comic books. I didn't know how to read them. He had to show me which way to, to read the word balloons. I, mm-hmm. I didn't understand how to follow it. Um, mm-hmm. But but that kind of got me interested. He showed me. I started reading uh, Jack Kirby's Fourth World stuff. And, wow. And that, that kind of sparked me. Um, I and it was the artwork. It was the artwork, which I just I just felt like Alice in Wonderland falling through the looking glass every time I opened up a Jack Kirby book. It would just suck me in. Um, so that, that that's that interesting. Kind of got me that's interested. In, yeah, that's interesting because I've had the opposite reaction from some other you know women artists or younger women artists where they would look at it and it would seem like that was like. There was such a surreal no man's land for them that they had a hard time accessing it. And I know when we talked briefly the other day about doing the the the, the podcast, I mentioned that uh, you know a lot of the women that have come into comics in the last twenty years were really brought in by manga and anime, yeah, as mm-hmm. opposed to comic books or even comic strips. Mm-hmm. Did you read? Um, did you did you read any of that stuff at all c- coming along? Uh, no, no. I mean, I, the first um, manga I ever saw was uh, Akira. Okay, and that was in the early '80s, and everybody was running around to the Japanese grocers trying to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the first time I'd ever seen any manga before. And uh, it, you know, and, and you know, I still have my my three. Um, my collection over here in the original Japanese, which I kind of preferred. It was yeah. so the storytelling was so clear; you could read it, and 
you know, kind of make up your own dialogue and, and fill in the blanks. And uh, you didn't really need to, you know, know the language. But no, I, I mean, the Jack Kerr, I, I was probably like, I was like 18 when I okay. first was working at comics. And it, it was it was the artwork. It was the artwork. that I was drawn in by the artwork first and the writing and the story second. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think a lot of the young women who get into comics because of anime and manga, uh, it's more because of the writing and the stories than the artwork, to tell you the truth. I, I just, when I, I talk to my students about it, they, they really, they talk more about the stories and the characters than the art. Um, but for me, it was it was just the opposite. It, it was the artwork that got me in. Yeah, that was always the case with me. But I know what you I I, I know what you're saying because I have students, and uh, it's sort of split. There's some who are really into the story, and the story I would say in general to people who are reading anime uh, or the manga rather is actually more important because sometimes the drawings are actually very simple. There's a lot of talking heads. There's a lot yeah. of exposition. It's, it's you know, very character-driven. Yeah, and so if you... It's not as much spectacle. Like, Akira is 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 very different in that. It's actually much more Western yeah. in its yeah. structure. Yeah, that's true. Than, I don't know, most of... You know, like, even, like, even Battle Angel or something like that is, is a little bit more Western. But if you're reading like uh, Inuyasha or even a lot of Tezuka stuff, there's a lot of mm-hmm. exposition, a lot of character development. They have a big cast of characters. Um, right. And uh, right. I know like with uh, both Mimi and Liang, they they really like the stories. They, I mean, they yeah. like the art. I think Mimi is slightly more... Art driven than Liang, um, but most of the high school students that I teach and the classes are usually two thirds female. They really seem to key in on the story, and maybe those right. are like the the what we used to call like the Borders girls. When you would go into Borders, <laughs> there was always like this this phalanx of women, young women sitting on the floor in the in the aisle, just like. Reading right. all the manga, you know, mm-hmm. right, and that's fine. You know, it's not, um, that's absolutely fine. Um, I just, I, I guess, what I like about the artwork is that it looked like it just looked like it was so much fun to draw, you know. And I got in. Roy took me to a comic book convention in Atlanta, and this would have been like about nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety. And it was an incredible convention because there was like um, uh, Michael Kaluta was there, Bernie mm. Wrightson was there, wow. Gil Kane was there, Jim Steranko, and um, I remember I just sat. I spent. I think I spent most of the day just sitting and watching these guys draw. Not that Jim Steranko was drawing, but <laughs> uh, you know, I, I for a long time I just sat there watching Gil Kane, and mm. I really. I just liked that dynamic quality and, you know, drawing superheroes and that, that challenge of the figure drawing and the force perspective and the action, it, it just really appealed to me. Um, but Is that when you started thinking, weird. Weird. 
did you did you start thinking then like oh this is might this might be something that I might want to do or yeah yeah well it was pretty much that first convention when I saw what these artists were doing and saw that you could actually get paid for doing this mm. um, I mean at this point I was like a, a freshman at the University of Georgia and I was studying art but um, and I knew, I just knew I wanted to make money with art. I didn't want to be a fine artist. I wanted to be able to support myself as an artist. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, you know, probably had I not discovered comics, I would have gone into illustration. But I, I always liked drawing. Even when I was a, a small child, I entertained myself by picking up a pencil and drawing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just, you know, it was something I loved to do. And so that, that you know... Well, you found the right job. I just wanted to. Uh, I just wanted to clarify you, that. So you, uh, you said that convention was eighty nine or ninety. Did you mean like a decade before that? Uh, no. I'm, oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Oh, it's see, I'm already starting to say. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. It was would have been seventy. It would have been seventy nine or eighty. Okay. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, I ju- yeah, I'm easily confused okay, so, by dates. Yes, I wanted to make sure. Yeah, I got that. yeah. I thought, sorry. Oh, wait a minute. Just, I know that June like, had been drawing comics for like, a long time by then. So. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Wasn't that just like 20 years ago? Um, <laughs> like it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks for for doing that. Uh, did you but, uh, did you have favorite artists then that you were sort of patterning patterning yourself after that you were trying to to, because you know this is a very sort of specific job, and of course now yeah. I always say, you know, there's a million YouTube channels and people doing stuff, and you can find all kinds of uh, things online about how to do this, and people videoing themselves inking. But you know, mm. at that time, you basically had the 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 the, the Marvel book, and that was kind of it, except that for was, yeah. what you would see in like the Comics Journal. I mean, I mean right. specifically for like superhero stuff because there's always books on cartooning which would show you how to draw cartoony bigfoot stuff but not you know like gil kane right right no i mean i pretty much learned from looking at comic books and going to conventions and watching artists draw and showing my portfolio and and getting feedback and and drawing, just sitting and drawing. I I mean I would study I had books on anatomy and figure drawing. And I might have even learned perspective in college. Um University of Georgia at that time had a, had a pretty good art program, so it's possible that I had some background and perspective from my foundation courses at University of Georgia. Uh, but pretty much I learned from studying comic books. And then I, I also, I met, um, Bob McLeod at a convention mm. and he made the, he made the mistake of saying if I wanted to send him some stuff, mail him stuff, some stuff he'd <laughs> critique it, <laughs> which I did. And he did great critiques. I mean, he didn't and mess he around. Still he, he still does. He still does. Yeah. Yes, he does. He does. <laughs> and, um, and I kept doing that, and then at, at one point, he was like, okay, I'm going to start charging you. And I was like, okay, fine, it's worth it, whatever you want. 
Was he trying to so shake, really you, is, shake you loose, probably? <laughs> he was. That mm-hmm. is exactly right, because just just a few years ago, um, actually it was when I was teaching at, I, w- I taught for a little while at the Joe Kubert School, and I conned Bob into coming and speaking to my class, which was really nice, because that was he lives in Pennsylvania, and that was a bit of a drive. Mm-hmm. But when he came to speak to my class, he told me why he started charging me that he didn't think I would make it and he wanted to get rid of me wow tough love mm-hmm. and I was like how do you like me now um, <laughs> you know <laughs> but yeah yeah he, he he did not think I would make it but those critiques really helped I mean he, he was very specific he would put tracing paper down over my drawings and correct things um yeah, yeah. So that was my my education was um, Bob's critiques, and then just I would look at I looked at Gil Kane, looked at Ross Andrew, looked at Bernie Wrightson, um, and I started looking at Walt Simonson. Not that you see any of that in my drawing, but I I pretty quickly realized that when it came to his storytelling and compositions, he was thinking outside the box. Mm. And not that I approach anything like that, but he made me, looking at his work, made me think think more about composition, try harder with composition. So Yeah, I think yeah, I that, think that I felt the same way education. too. I met him I met Walt at one of my first conventions. And you know, he's always such a nice guy and and very encouraging, but I think I met him right after he did that last Cylon story in Battlestar Galactica, mm-hmm. and I was always very aware of the design aspect to his page layouts, mm-hmm. which uh, was really stood out. So you could put Tom Palmer or somebody else on top of him and kind of make it look more realistic, or you could go more of a designy way. But he really had a, a great way of breaking down the movement and the bits of time on a page. Um, yeah. And there's nobody who really does what he does in that way, you know. Maybe Steranko did a little bit of that way back in the day, but nobody has continued to really, you know, maybe Howard Chaikin a little bit, you know. I think they're yeah. also a little bit different. Right, right. But um, uh, but Walt was very nice when I first met him. And um, and uh, uh, so it's important, I guess, you see, you, as you can see, you can meet somebody who's very good, like Bob, and that's like a crucial moment for you because you prove that you were not flighty, that you were actually serious, and that little bit of tough love, I think, is actually an important step because we've all known zillions of people who said that they wanted to do this, and very few people actually make it. Right. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right, yeah, um, that's that's true. That's, that's sad, but true. Um, so maybe not sad. Maybe they're better off. I don't know. Uh, we we had a friend in high school uh, who we're still friends with. Great guy, great guy. And I remember in high school he he thought he wanted to draw comics, but at some point he decided to go into the Air Force and became like a full bird colonel and well <laughs> retired and doing very well. I'm thinking maybe you made the right decision there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but no 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 regrets. Uh, I'm, I'm you know I'm glad I chose this career. 
had some ups and downs. I somehow managed to hang in there uh, through luck and, I don't know, uh, just nothing else I was really good at, I guess. So do, now, now, do you feel there was any... Do you feel you were ever treated different or you ever had any um, opportunities that were different because you were a woman doing it? Like, I remember I was uh, with Judy Hunt for a while, and I remember very specifically going to DC Comics and Dick Giordano saying, okay, go to, um, uh, I forget the editor's name now, the guy was editing the war books and saying, go... And get a you know tell so and so to give you a job. So I was like laying the stuff out, and Judy would like tighten up the pencils. And I remember this guy going into Dick's office and going, "You can't give a war book to a to a woman." And he was like really uh, like having right. like a oh, yeah. shit because it's like girls can't draw war. So uh, you know you came in sort of like like read me like at the end of like the old guard. So did you ever get any sort of like Oh yeah, you know you're you're a girl, so you can or a woman, you can only draw this kind of a thing. I only had that happen once, and it was when Dwayne McDuffie asked for me on a job, and the editor, who was a woman who shall remain nameless, said, mm-hmm. "No, she draws too much like a girl." Mm-hmm. Um, but you know. I mean, did I get jobs that were more girl-centric? Maybe. Uh, but, you know, it, I really didn't have a, a good, strong superhero style. I, I did draw, I did kind of draw like a girl. But, you know, so did Paul Smith on the X-Men. <laughs> I always thought he had this really, you know, really pretty kind of delicate style. Um, there were some guys who drew like girls. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so let's, but, let's you know, I, what would you say is the default of draw like a girl? Is it like you don't draw big, you know, six-pack of Frank finger fists like Jack Kirby or? I think you know, speaking for myself, for myself, what made me, you know, draw like a girl is that I, I had trouble exaggerating you know, getting that superhero musculature down. I had trouble with the kind of exaggeration that you need to have in your figures to do superheroes. Mm. And I had trouble doing dynamic storytelling. That was it. Um, luck, I, you know, I was just very lucky that Wheezy approached me with Power Pack because that was a book I was suited to. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing, and there's some really awful drawing but I could kind of draw kids and not everyone could so I'm I was very lucky that that came along otherwise I very well might have washed out I I was not suited to drawing superheroes I got better at it it took me a long time and I'm still not you know a great superhero artist but I think I can do you know a, a, a competent superhero book now um but but not in the beginning I couldn't well, I have a I have a theory now. You can tell me that I'm full of of of, of BS after this. But my theory, and I talked a little bit this about uh, with uh, with Mimi because she's coming up and you know she's trying to learn how to draw male figures and things like that better. And I said I think part of it is 
is that boys played monsters. Boys played heroes. So physically in our body, we inhabit that space in a way that very often women did not play those roles. They played other roles. So like a guy might have trouble doing stuff that would be more tender or with kids or things like that because they're used to being, you know, Matt Dillon or Captain America or, you know, Luke Skywalker or whatever. And it seems that in the preceding generations, there's more female action figures, action heroes. So maybe the women coming up now might have more of a feeling than it would than it was in the older generations of stuff. I don't know if you if you think that. Well, that's there might, a, I think there I think there's something to that. I mean, like I said, I didn't look at comics. I didn't grow up looking at comics. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I didn't understand how to do motion lines. I didn't understand where a sound effect would be suitable. I I just didn't understand the language, and it just wasn't something I was visually accustomed to. to dealing with um and i think you know and that wasn't because necessarily because i was a girl it was because there were no books that were geared towards girls i just wasn't interested Mm. um i didn't get interested until i was looking at it you know as an artist um but you know i i didn't have that background you know most of the guys who got into doing comics were looking at comics as kids and copying the you know trying to draw superheroes I was trying to draw horses. So, um, you know, it was just, it was a very, I had a very different background trying to to break into this business. But I I think you may be right. I think that now there are more, you know, female action-oriented characters. And that, uh, you know, I I do think that that might be changing, um, you know, the look of some of of the art that's, that's coming out, that's, you know, that's being done now by uh, women artists. Well, all I know is it's a it's a post Buffy world. So those young right, girls, right? You know, <laughs> Katie loved all that. Although I don't think she would have ever. She was pretty uh, high test right from the beginning. But yeah, Buffy certainly helped her along. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's very it's very different now. I mean, you know, on the big screen, you have so many characters and female, you know, strong female characters kicking butt and the same in comics. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's definitely going to affect, uh, you know, a new generation of women artists. Mm. It'd be interesting, well, interesting to see. No, dude, when you were, you said you were, you were teaching, uh, you're not teaching right now? I'm not. Um, I taught at the Joe Kubert School, which is it's a wonderful school, and that was a, a great experience. I taught there for two years, and then I taught at SCAD, um, the Atlanta branch, for nine years. But um, it just was was getting to be, you know, the, the freelance work started to pick up, and it just got to be too much. But um, but I would like to go back to teaching, you know, just part time uh, at some point. Did you, I, I enjoyed uh, did you, it very much. Did you have any uh, students who had gone on to do anything from when you were teaching? Y- yes. Um, from the Cuber School, uh, there's a student um, named Gary Brown who uh, is just just amazing, just killing it, does beautiful, beautiful work. Um, and from uh, 
uh, oh, also, this was interesting. The um, young woman who colored the power pack job I just did is Tamara. I'm not her. Her name is spelled like Bond Villain. I'm guessing it might be Bond Bilan. But Tamara did a great job coloring this this Power Pack book, and she was a student at the Kubert School. Um, And then from SCAD, Dominic Stanton, Domo, is just amazing. He's been over at D.C. doing some Neil Gaiman stuff, and uh, he's really really something. So, uh, yeah, some some of the students have gone on to do big things. Do you uh, do you uh, still maintain contact with them? Um, I do with with Domo um, Dominic Stanton. He's he's just such a sweetheart, and um, I see him when I come to Baltimore. I'm trying to talk him into moving back in back to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I do, you know, I I have stayed in contact with him, um, and the others, you know, is like you know Facebook friends. Yeah, Domo's got a great style. I like his work a lot. Yeah, he's just, um, you know, he's really paid his dues. He really hung in there. He didn't give up. He stayed focused, and he's just gotten better and better, and it's, it's you know, it's really paid off for him. Mm. Now, do you and Roy work at the same time, or does he, you know, like you, do you have this, do you share the studio? Do uh... Oh, no, we don't share a studio. That's just, that's a little too much togetherness for me. Um we we pretty much work yeah pretty much the same hours um but my my studio the house we're in now my studio is upstairs and his studio is downstairs so you know we pass each other in the hall every now and then and grunt and you know <laughs> we, have, <laughs> uh, we have our meals together and then we'll knock off, you know, like, you know, we'll knock off, like I said, you know, watch a movie or a Netflix show or, or something later. Um, but, uh, but no, I think people picture us like working back to back in the same room. No, that's not going to happen. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. So, well, some people no, do, I mean, some people know. don't. Yeah, it's different for every. I just, I just wondered if, you know, he's coming over and like, uh, soon as you're done with the, uh, the, uh, the pencils, he's, they're swept off over to his table and, you know, he's, He's inking away. Well, something like that. When I'm done with pencils, I'll go. First thing I'll, I'll do is, you know, I'll go and scan them and, and you know, send them off. And you know, as soon as they get the okay, then I I take them and you know, put them on his his tabaret and and uh, he gets to work. So you know, yeah, we do. We have our little cottage industry here. That's mm-hmm. for sure. And do you um, do you have any assistance? Have you ever had any assistance or? We have, we do have a young woman who does um, digital cleanup for us on our pages, uh, just because we both hate doing it and it's kind of time consuming. Um, she's she, actually she is a former student, and you know we just send her the files and um, she she does the digital cleanup. And sometimes, like when we're getting close to finishing something, like. Maybe when he's getting close to finishing an issue of Captain Ginger, he'll he'll have the same young woman come over and do some background inking for us. But but that's about it, you know. If maybe if the cats had thumbs, but they don't. <laughs> so that yeah. Oh, Jude, I was going to ask how you're incorporating digital into your workflow or into the workflow of the studio. 
Um, right now, you know, when I draw comics, I'm just drawing comics. I, I pick up a pencil and I and I draw. Uh, if I need reference, yes, I will certainly use Google Images. Um, but there's, you know, my my layouts, my thumbnails are uh, are pencil. My pages are pencil. I do work digitally some if I if if I'm doing a cover. Um, and I can do the, and they'll let me do the whole thing. Um, I will generally do the line work traditionally, and then scan it and, and color in Photoshop. Um, I do some illustration work for, like, I, I do illustration work for Horse and Rider magazine, which I'm sure you all read. And <laughs> I, I just, do I that. just uh, re-up my subscription. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Um, but that's that's completely digital. That's all digital. Mm-hmm. And um, I have to do, I. For some reason, I decided I need to get an MFA in illustration, and I'm almost I'm this close to being done. The last thing I have to do is. Um, for my thesis, I'm doing a children's book. And that, I think, will be, I will probably, like, thumbnail it in pencil and scan it in, scan in my thumbnails, and that'll be completely digital in Photoshop. Mm-hmm. So but why did you, for, why did you comic deci- book, go ahead. I was going to say, why did you decide to get the MFA in illustration? Because, um, for one thing, when I was teaching at SCAD, I could get a half scholarship. Which still, believe me, it was bloody expensive. Um, oh, I, but, I know. <laughs> oh God, yeah, you do, you do know. Um, if I want to teach someday at the college level and teach full time, I need I need an MFA. Uh, when I was teaching at SCAD, I was just an adjunct. But if I should ever want to teach full time, I, I will need an MFA. And, you know, this, this comic book business, I mean, I love it, and right now I'm really busy, but it can be, it can be kind of dicey. So, honestly, it's, it's a fallback. It's a fallback. If I, I might need to teach, um, or I might just want to teach. So, you know, now I'll have it. And also, it, it has made me a better artist. I mean, the, the illustration department at SCAD is really good, and I've had some great instructors. And I've, you know, I've learned some things that... Um, that I use that have been very useful to me and uh so it's it's been worthwhile it has do you do you so it was sort of um half thinking about the future and half for yourself uh yeah pretty much pretty much i mean planning on you know you know, the, the day may come when I'm, you know, Mary Worth could go away, um, Power Pack could go away, people could be like, June Brigman, who? And, uh, you know, I, I don't really want to, you know, take that job at Trader Joe's. So, uh, which is, yeah, I love Trader Joe's. It's great. Nothing wrong with that. But, uh, but I, I really, I do love teaching. I mean, I, I now, I, I never, when I was, you know, younger, I never had any desire to teach. But once I learned that I could teach what I do, which is comics, that got me interested in teaching. And it's something I I really enjoy and I think I was good at. So I I think I will do it again someday. Um, Maybe because I want to or maybe because I want to and need to. 
So, you know, I'll have the degree in my pocket. Nice. Do you do you uh teach from memory like remembering how you were when you were that age and you know trying to to you know the benefit of learning from people like Bob or watching you know people like Gil Kane draw things like that well kind of because I, I probably did more drawing than lecturing when I was teaching um, I'm not the most verbally gifted person uh, and a lot of times it would be easier for me to say okay watch 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 this and I would talk as I was drawing Mm-hmm. So in a way, it was a lot like the way I learned. I learned from watching other people draw. I think that uh, you know, there's that was that that saying from Confucius, "I I hear and I forget. I see and I remember. I do and I understand." So I tried to draw a lot for my students so they could see me drawing and I would talk to them as I was drawing trying to explain some of my thought process and then it would be their turn to try it. Now you draw. You give it a try. So um, I I really preferred that to standing up there and blah, 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 blah and, you know, saying a bunch of stuff and they're nodding their heads and it's all going in one ear and out the other. So it, it, I I guess really it, it was very similar to the way I learned. Hey, June, uh, what's your travel or appearance schedule like during a year? Do you do a lot of conventions? Some years, yes. Some years, no. Um, Two years ago, I think we did like six conventions, which was a lot for us. But then like last year, I think we did one. Mm. This year, we've done like three. Mm. Um, So... uh, yeah, I, I and I only go to the ones where you know I'm an invited guest. Right. So, not a lot of conventions. I I keep hoping maybe that will change and I'll get invited to that con in Honolulu, you know, instead <laughs> of the one in Alabama. You know, not not there's anything wrong with that. Well, there are some things wrong with Alabama, but um, you know, I, I've been there. I don't really need to go back again. You know, maybe France or England or you know, someplace cool would be nice. I just well, got back from Spain, and it was probably the best trip I've ever taken. It was fantastic. Really? Oh my yeah. God! Uh, that sounds incredible. See, yes, that is that's what I want to do. That's where I want to go. Well, what do you so. think? Do you or do you have an opinion about how much comic conventions have changed? Like just going back to your first experience at a con to now the kind of like mega conglomerate blockbuster thing that cons well, have turned yeah. into. And how do yeah, you feel I, about that? Well, I mean, it, it, it's great that there's, you know, comics have gone mainstream. You know, they're every, you know, people love to go to the shows, and you know, the attendance is incredible, and um, you know, I'm I'm good with that. Uh, but um, I mean, my favorite shows are the ones that still focus on comics. <laughs> Mm-hmm. and comic book creators and those shows would be um, Baltimore and uh, Heroes Con in Charlotte yeah. mm. uh, those those I think still have I mean yeah there, there's some cosplay and there's some you know um, celebrity you know movie TV show whatever guests 
but the focus is still on comics. And, you know, those shows I go to as much as, as a fan, as a, you know, as, as a guest. Um, I, I, you know, I walk around, oh, my God, oh, my God, there's, you know, I got to meet Kevin Nolan. I got to meet Kevin, Kevin Nolan at Heroes Con this year. I'd never met him before, and I was just like, you know, practically bowing down. Um, and he was lovely, and, and it was it was amazing. You know, and I get to, you know, hang out with somebody like Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Mm. Um, I, I got to, you know, a couple of years ago, I, I came to Baltimore, and I finally met Tom Palmer. Got right. to hang out with him. You right. know, I got to laugh at Howard Chaikin, and, and um, you know, and then I, I met artists that I, I've only looked at their work. Um, I, I met Toby Cypress, um, Ben Caldwell. Just you know, I I go I go as much as as a fan as anybody else. I can, I can fangirl with the best of them. <laughs> so uh, you know, I I think it's great that there's so much interest in comics going mainstream and the conventions have huge attendance. But I my my favorites are still going to be the ones that are, are focused on you know what we do. Uh, well, now with your um, Captain Ginger book you're doing for Ahoy, uh, do you find uh, yourself kind of going, leaving the house a little bit more to do promo for that or do some signings? Um, some, you know, I'll, I'll do uh, signings at uh, the local comic book shops around around here. Um, and I will probably try to do more shows next year because we're going to have another round of, comic, of, of Captain Ginger coming out. Mm-hmm. So I I may make more of an effort, you know, to go to shows, you know, even if it's under my own steam, uh, try to get out and, and do some more cons to to promote the book. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I I will be doing trying to do that. Mm. I have a provocative question, is I don't think I've asked this one yet. Ooh. What's Ooh. <laughs> what's your what's your stance on charging for signatures? I don't. Um, I never have, but I haven't done that much work. I mean, the artists who, you know, if, if you're somebody like, like, you know, if you're George Perez or John Byrne, I don't think Byrne does any shows, or John Romita Jr. or somebody like that, and you've done God only knows how many books, then, you know, I, I understand charging for signatures. When you have people coming up with suitcases full of books for you to sign, mm-hmm. I, I get that. Mm-hmm. But I, I've never charged because I just, honestly, I haven't done that much work. Uh, I, I have started, what I started doing is doing, um, you know, you don't have, no, I don't charge, but if you want to make a donation to Hero Initiative, mm-hmm. that would be lovely. Um, I think I've, I've started doing that this this year, just because you know it's a great organization, and um, you know it's it's a, a little bit of a contribution that I can make. But you know, if other people want to charge for signatures, fine, go mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it seems like it's it's sort of all over the map. There are people like you who don't. I did a little bit. Yeah. But I would feel bad if a guy comes up and he's got three kids with him. I figured that guy spent a lot of money just to get into the show. And then if I say, oh, by the way, it's $5 a signature for your $7 of your seven copies of Darkhawk, I somehow don't feel 
good about doing that because mm. you know it, it's like if some guy comes up like I, we've all had there where the person comes up and usually what they do is they'll send their little daughter <laughs> will you sign some books for me yeah. and then she has like 4,500 copies of something, right? Right, like, right. Like, I'm not selling all those for free, signing that for free. And also, over right, the three right. days, over the three days, she comes back 25 times. <laughs> yeah, right. But, I mean, I, th- I think what some artists do is, like, they give you, like, I don't know, it's like the first 10 or something are free. And then after that, they're going to charge you whatever. Maybe they do a sliding scale or something. I don't know. After that, it's um, Amway. Like, <laughs> right, <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it just it just it just depends. Um, I mean, it it can take a lot of time to sit there, you know, and and sign books. Uh, but then again, it's like, hey, these people spent money on your comic books. They they're they're buying it. They're supporting your work. So uh, you know, I feel like I'm I'm happy to sign it. Do you feel that your audience is different or mixed between, like, I'll, I'm always surprised, frankly, when anyone comes up and talk at a comic convention and talks about a comic strip because there always seems like there's older people will usually talk about strips and the younger people usually not about strips. But do you find that there's right. a, a mix of people coming up, like some people power pack and they've got the old power pack, but then some people are bringing Captain Ginger or some people saying, "Hey, will you, will you sign my old, you know, June twelfth copy of Mary Worth?" <laughs> right, right. Uh, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm always surprised at a comic book convention if anybody asks me about the comic strips of Mary Worth. Although we have found that if we don't, and the stuff we bring to sell, the portfolio of originals we bring to sell, if we don't put in a Mary Worth. That's the time where, some, where someone will come up and say, "Have you got any Mary work for sale?" Right. So we always throw a few strips in, um, and actually, it was it was interesting. I think it was the last time I was at Baltimore. A couple of young people, I mean, like what when I say young, I mean like actually younger than thirty, came up and said they read Mary Worth. It was, they were both young women, and I was so I was so thrilled that you know these young women read Mary Worth. I think I, I had some Mary Worth strips with me. I just gave it. To them. <laughs> oh wow, that's great! <laughs> you know, um, not you know, I can't charge very much for Mary Worth anyway, so it, it's not as generous as it might sound to me. It's like, oh, less to lug around, and it's not like I don't have. I mean, I, I'm hmm. sure, Mike, your apartment, you must have like closets full. Yeah, I uh, have. Strip. I have I mean, an armoire of the, and one the top shelf is just all. Judge Parker, which is one of the reasons why I started doing it digital over a year ago, just because I was just run, basically running out of room, and there was really not much of a market to sell Judge Parker. Right. I can sell right. the Phantom, but I can't sell mm-hmm. Judge Parker. Of course, I guess if I drop yeah. dead tomorrow, then everybody will want Judge Parker. It'll be like <laughs> suddenly so valuable, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, when you do something, I mean, let's see. I did Mary, I did Brenda for 15 years, and I've done Mary Worth for three years, so 18 times. 365, three, that's a lot. 365, as a lot, yeah. I figured I figured it so, out a little while ago how many Judge Parker strips that it was, you know, thousands and thousands of strips that I did. And then I'm thinking, like, boy, Harold Ledoux did it for 50, almost 50 years, so. God, yeah. 
I can't even. I can't even. And I, I met um, Joe Giella's son, and he said that Joe had all those Mary Worth, and he just like he would draw them and put them in like the closet. He had like a big, gigantic, ginormous stack of of strips. But you know, um, you know, I think it. it yeah, it I, I'm. I'm seeing like a weekly world. I'm seeing like a Weekly World News headline, Artist Dies Under <laughs> Avalanche, Under <laughs> Comic Strip Avalanche. I'm picturing, you know, someday if, you know, 10 years from now, if Mary Worth should still be going on, opening a closet door and just this avalanche of pages falling <laughs> on my head. Oh, God. And right, next yeah, to but, it, right next to it will be that picture of that bat boy. They always had the cover. <laughs> <laughs> That's a literally uh, death by a thousand paper cuts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh God. Do now? Do you? We were talking a little bit uh, about the technical aspect of uh, doing the strips. So now I do two dailies. You know, on an eleven, on a fourteen by um, seventeen, three hundred series uh, Strathmore. Uh, yeah. Now I can get them here. Okay. So, you know, not as big as the old, old strips because you actually couldn't even fit those on your scanner. You'd have to scan them in parts. So I, I, I make it as big as I can get it on my scanner. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the same here. I, I um, have the, the Strathmore uh, ruled uh, comic book pages, and I flip them over and use the unruled side, and I can, I can do uh, a Sunday, one Sunday, or I can do two dailies. And... Yeah, that's it. Puts on the scanner, boom. Now, do you find that um, you, because of the Sunday, you're drawing the Sunday actually small. The the the, the panel sizes are actually smaller if you do a Sunday on right, that side. Right. Right. Do you find that there's some, I don't know, struggle between, because you actually have to you're drawing the same thing, but you, now you're actually drawing it smaller. Because you have to fit the three tiers on It's not that much smaller. And, you know, the thing, Mary Worth, Mary Worth is pretty simple. It's pretty, it's not, you know, I look at that stuff you do on the Phantom, and I'm like, my God, stop working so hard. It's just, I mean, it's gorgeous, but damn. You put a ton of work into that stuff, and it's complicated. Mary is pretty simple. And I, I it just is not as work intensive is, is a, something like the phantom and plus i'm really lazy i'm really ah. really lazy well, nobody nobody and, who does a comic strip can be lazy just because of the serial well, work i have to, I, I i'm sorry but I'm, I'm lazy because i want to do it as quickly as possible so i can draw captain ginger <laughs> ah well, okay. Uh, okay. so the truth is out the truth is out so um, but you know, so so the size restriction it's it's not as hard for me to deal with as as it must be for you. Yeah, the 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 Phantom does require more, uh, but then I like Tony is good at the Tony DePaul is good at giving me, especially in this latest storyline, room to play around with. Um, no, and, draw, and draw stuff. I mean, look, anytime you got to draw five guys running around with AK-47s in the back of a truck, that's work no matter how you ch- even try to cheat it. No it's kidding. Just, it's just work to do that. So there's a certain amount of research 
that goes into doing a strip like that because it's not the old Ray Moore Phantom in the deep dark fantasy jungle of Africa. These guys are actually using right. you know, Law's rocket tubes, and so there's a you know like the latest storyline. I did a lot of a lot today. Uh, I was working yeah. uh, today. I was working and putting stuff together and using Google images to get images of of uh, Land Rovers, and then I would put stuff together, and then I was having Liang ink the background. You know, I put stuff together, and then she's going over it in Manga Studio, because when I have a lot of trucks and cars, m it, a lot of times I will just find an image, and instead of doing it in the old days where you put in the artograph and you trace it off, you right. just put it in, you know, Manga Studio, and you just you just draw right there, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And I learned from, you know, working with guys like Al, you know, you can be creative with the way you find this and that, and you mix this picture with that picture, because Al is fantastic with that. He could find an old picture of a barn, and then a picture of a Ford Falcon, and he could put them together and, you know, put some blacks on it or whatever, and it's like, it was really right. exciting and, 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 and awesome looking. But I find that, that now, if I can find the images... And put them in, and kind of cut them up, and photo bash, as they say. It just saves time. I yeah. would prefer, personally, just because I'm old school like that. I like drawing that. Any difficult drawing, I figure, keeps me sharp. Mm -hmm. But the yeah. fact that you have to produce me producing, you know, uh, uh, what thirteen strips a week. It means that I have to produce, <laughs> you know. So, you know, oh my God, to, you know. But but I also want to be able to enjoy what I do because look, if you have to work eight, ten, twelve hours a day, but you don't like what you do, that's the worst job. Yeah, yeah, it is. You, you have, and that's what I mean by you have to entertain yourself. I mean, even with, even with Mary Worth, like there are certain characters I like because I like to draw their hair. Or I like to introduce a new character and come up with an interesting face, or you know, just something, something to break it up and and you know keep your interest up in, in your work. Um, but here now, here's a question for for you guys, and this was uh, a discussion I saw on a uh, Bob McLeod's Facebook page about warm up sketches, and Bob was saying he doesn't do a warm up sketch. And I'm thinking, oh, I, I don't do warm-up sketches either because because <laughs> I don't think it's like you're always. It, I have too much to do. I have too much I want to get done. I can't, you know, fart around warming up. And, and besides, I I'm all. I feel like I already go to the board warmed up. Right. But do you guys do any warm-up sketches? Any prep or, you know, to get, get your yeah, juice, I, creative I juices going? Yeah. yeah, I I do. I just. Chuck out reams of stuff. I'm just to keep my hand sort of in the morning. I don't often like to uh, jump right on the thing because it can. It, it's odd the syndrome that where if I come down, I've got a bunch of stuff laid out, and I go in to tighten it up. If I start tightening it up in the morning when my brain is still kind of stiff, mm -hmm. I yeah. turn into a machine where I'm like, you know, carving out every tiny corner. So I like to loosen up first so I can get a little bit of a flow going and. Right. I have uh, envelopes that are stuffed with millions of yellow sticky drawings. Mm -hmm. I just oh warm God, up on I those. They're all incredible. Well, they keep. They I eat? started using the yellow stickies because they took up less space. You know, keeps <laughs> keeps right. the drawing small. 
<laughs> yeah, but I mean, you've always had that really great, you've always kept that very spontaneous, nice gestural quality in your work. In fact, in my sketchbook, I've got that one of the, the nicest things in my sketchbook is this cloak and dagger you did. And it, I mean, this was you know, a million years ago. But, um, you know, when I used to show that sketchbook to my students, they'd be like, wow, oh, my God, who did that? I'm like, this guy, Brett Livens, did it. And um, and then, of course, you're like, who? And then I have to explain to them who you are. And <laughs> then you, you failed the class. Them. Yeah. yeah. We've aged out of the, uh, well, thank you. Thank yeah. you, June. That was very nice to say. But like you say, we've aged out of the common awareness, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. I, like I, I always say, I'm just happy if anybody knows I'm still alive. <laughs> so what about so. you, Jamar? Do you, do you warm up? or? Um, usually just the way my life is is uh, curated these days. I don't really have a lot of time. Like I have enough time to do what I'm supposed to be doing. So I just kind of go right in. Um, and I, I miss it, though. I do miss just kind of drawing to just like get the juices flowing. So... <laughs> I, you know, I think I might wind up erasing more just because I, you know, I'm trying to get what I need to get done done at that moment. But uh, I'd like to, yeah. I'd, I'd like to uh, revisit <laughs> doing warm ups this year. Well, I'll tell you from going to the MFA and paying a pretty, pretty, pretty dollar, <laughs> young man. Erasing <laughs> is considered drawing. Well, yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I agree with that. <laughs> you know, any mark you make in your process. Mm -hmm. is considered to be drawn. Well, I'll say this, Mike, and I know it's June's interview, but I, I learned a lot from just hanging around you all these years where I would just, you know, be content with just drawing something once and just, like, walking away from it with just, you know, spending some time and just erasing it because it's not right. You know it's not right. <laughs> like, who are you fooling? So, you know. Oh, I got, I, a, I got something you can do, Jamar. Just draw on these yellow stickies and just throw that one away. <laughs> just peel the top off. And peel yeah, just peel, just peel, the, yeah. peel it That's back. That's what I do. Yeah. I, I love it's, it. It's funny. I, I, I was uh, listening to um, Brian Stelfreeze critiquing uh, uh, a young artist's work once at a, a convention. And uh, Brian goes, he, he said this thing, I was like, I have to remember that. It's so great. It's brilliant. And Brian says, drawing, no, he said, no, he said, oh, this is it. He said, learning, learning is what you throw away. And I was like, God, that's great. I'm going to remember that. I'm going to tell myself, learning is what you throw away. But then I thought about, if I tell that to my students, they're going to be constantly wadding up pages from their sketchbook and throwing them in the trash and saying, look, Professor Brickman, look how much I'm learning. <laughs> so, yeah, I decided to keep that one to myself. But, <laughs> you know, I get it. I get it. You know, I, a few years ago, I found these really, really cheap sketchbooks. That, you know, I, I think they have them at Michael's and maybe some other place. But um, I fell in love with them because the paper is so thin. So what I was doing, I start on the back page and then if I want to refine something, I just keep going mm. forward because it's thin enough that you can see through it without a light box. Right. And uh, you can refine something very quick that way. And then if you did something along the way that you may want to return to, it's still there. Yeah. Because I, yeah. when, I, when I get a script, especially if it's something I haven't done before, I'm doing a Shazam story with Wheezy right now. 
tons of kids that I you know didn't know anything about. Um, when I'm reading the script, I doodle right then. If just a gesture or something for that action that may not yeah. be usable at all because when you lay the story out, of course, it may be the completely different orientation or you got to put some other storytelling information in there so this won't work. But you've sort of done it once. You felt it in your body once, you know. That seems to help me get into it quicker. Also, I, I can see that that would be helpful in that once you get into the story, if you hadn't done that little doodle, that little gesture, you'd be sitting there thinking, now, what was I was going to do here? Oh, yeah, it was something like this, but it might not be as fresh as that, you know, that initial response that you had. Well, sometimes so, it's, it, so for me, it, it's something, it's usually something specific, like somebody's jumping out of a runaway truck or something. You think, well, there's about yeah. four ways I could show that and see everything, knock them down really quick, and then it gives you a route later when you have to fit in five other pieces of exposition into the same drawing. Right. <laughs> or at least you... <laughs> Because that's, for me, that's what the sketching does, is it gives me a, a way in. Mm-hmm. Because if yeah. I try and work cold, I feel like I'm assembling uh, pieces of story information, and it sometimes freezes me up. So if I've already doodled a bunch, just freely thinking about what's going to happen, I find a, well, a handle on it. I guess I kind of do that in my thumbnail. Because my thumbnails are, are really, really scribbly. And I'm probably the only one who can make any sense of it. But that's, in a way, maybe that's my warm-up because, you know, you, you're you're starting to try to figure it out. You know, I'm at least figuring out my placement, figuring out poses, um, you know, some shapes, some groupings, that kind of stuff. So, uh, no, I don't know. Maybe I do warm-up after all. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> yeah, I find, See, I this find, is a this is a detective show. We're trying to get right, to the root of it. Exactly. Like, yeah. So I, I used to, long time ago, I would do that sometimes, but usually I just walk right in, sit down, pick up the pencil, and just, just start drawing. What I find just do it is that at the end of the day, after I've worked, you know, ten, twelve, fourteen, how many ever hours, I will actually then relax by actually drawing for myself like sort of what i call the wind down where i will just your wind downs are amazing you're you're putting those together in a book right yes yes good yeah i I often show my i often show those to my students i would say this is how this guy winds down and they'd all be like you know very impressed (laughs) (laughs) yeah i find that that's a good title for your book mike the wind down right mike winds down Mike, 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 Mike wines. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I find that maybe because the strips, again, are so specific, it's like you've got to turn here and hit your mark. You know, it's like you have to do these very specific things to produce the stuff. And you don't really have time to second or third guess things that the freedom was like free form association at the end of the day. You're just sort of like bleeding off whatever's left in my mm. rattling around in my my subconscious and i always remember what basema said that they didn't pay him to erase and um <laughs> you know when you're doing the strips it's kind of true because there's a lot of things like standard headshots you just draw you want to show the shot of the person's face so you can see their reaction now you could think mm-hmm. of very crafty ways of doing that is it actually going to make it better 
or 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 is, or is it going to just are you spending time on that that's not going to really return anything to the reader right you know well you know i think that that also goes back to entertaining yourself i mean yes you want to tell the story and yes you want to involve the reader but sometimes i think especially on the strips because of the repetitive endless nature of them draw something just draw something that interests you um and even with the storylines i i've i've tried to encourage the writer to you know this is our show we can do some things that that we would have fun with that we would like to read because if the other thing is you can't second guess your audience who knows who knows what they like they will certainly <laughs> let you know if they don't like something um <laughs> But, that's yeah, more true. I, I that's it, more true, I think, than ever. I mean, actually, that's something I talked a little bit to Mike Mignola about in San Diego, because of the he was talking about the real super vehement negative feedback that he was getting because of the last movie, and I said, you know, I really noticed that the and I know that you don't go to the message boards. The 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 thing is, is that the people who write more often are the people who are writing to say something negative, and the people who like it usually don't write very often. Right. So there are people that on the Judge Parker message, and I've been doing it, you know, like 10 years, there are people who write every day to say, this stinks. Like that's right. their little thing. I get up in the morning, right. I read my newspaper, I have my cup of coffee, I look at the newspaper strips, and I go to each message board, each, you know, on, on the Comics Kingdom thing and go, this stinks, and that stinks, and this other thing th thing stinks, and I just—it's just you know part of the the world that we live yeah. in. And I, rem and I remember Woody Wilson telling me in the beginning, "Never go look at the message boards." Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't. I mean, I think maybe when I first started on Maryworth, I did. Um, and sometimes when we're starting a new, when we're ending one story arc and starting another. I'll actually go on and comment and say, hey, you know, long time no snark. Um, hope you enjoyed this storyline, and we're going to go on and we're going to do this. And a few people will sometimes say things like, oh, thanks, June, or say something nice, but most of them just ignore me. You know, it's not like they want a chance to interact with me or anything. They just ignore me. And I don't read. I don't read. I, I stopped reading it after I'd been doing it for about a month because I knew what I was going to see. It was, you know, the same stuff over and over again. And um, so, yeah, I, I just don't go there. So do you have any parting, because we're going to wrap up here in a little bit, do you have any parting advice to give to budding cartoonists or, you know, specifically maybe even female cartoonists? Yeah, become an accountant. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, no, no. Uh, advice, uh, uh, stay focused. Stay focused. If this is truly, God help you, what you want to do, then stay focused. There are so many more distractions out there. Mm -hmm. um, social media, video games, Netflix, whatever. Um, be prepared to uh, say goodbye to your friends and family? No, not really. You don't have to do that. But be prepared 
to spend some very long hours at home alone, maybe with a cat in your lap if you're lucky, like me, and you know, and, and stay focused on on what you want to do, what you're what you're going for, and make sure make sure that you love drawing. If you want, I, and it doesn't have to be a pencil; it can be a stylus. It's still drawing. Mm-hmm. Whether you're working traditionally or digitally, it's still drawing. You have to love drawing, and you have to love telling stories with your drawings, and you have to stay focused on that. And that's all I got. I love it. Great. Hey, hey June, where can uh, people find you on the Internet? Uh, I should have a web page, and I don't. I, I made a web page, and I never could get my my. GoDaddy name to point to it or something, mm-hmm. um, but you, I am on Facebook. I am on Instagram. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, Insta- I don't do enough on Instagram. I know you should treat it like a part-time job, but I don't. <laughs> but I am on Instagram, so you can find me there. I do have. Um, I don't have a website. I do have a web page, and if you just Google my name, it should come up. I haven't put on anything on it in ages. But you can contact me through that. Um, and through Instagram and through Facebook. That's it. Great. Well, thanks so much for taking your your wind-down time on a <laughs> Sunday evening when you could have had a couple of glasses of wine and drawn 17 uh, strips of uh, Mary yeah, Worth. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, well, but thanks, th- thanks for asking me to do this. I... I you know, it, it's an honor. Um, you know, you you three guys are all great artists, and um, you know, I, I was just really pleased that you asked me. I'm glad I could glad I could do it. Well, we're 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 so happy that you that you agreed to do it, and 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 you know, I got to learn some more. You know, we've we've met only once, but it was great to 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 also get to know you a little bit more. And and uh, I guess now you can go let. Roy out of the basement. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, he he might he might be you know it might be time to unchain Ink Dog and <laughs> let him out of the dungeon. Well, thanks a lot, uh, June, and uh, this should be up. I would say within a week to ten days. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, maybe maybe drop me a, a note and let me know. Um, but yeah, it was great talking to you, Mike. Great talking to you, Brett. Um, Jamar, I hope sometimes we can, you know, actually meet face to face. All right. Uh, we'll, maybe we'll... At, a, at a con someday. All right. I look forward to it. Well, that's it for this week. I'd like to thank June once again for stopping by. Uh, my co hosts, of course, Brett Blevins and Jamar Nicholas. Uh, our sponsor, Clip Studio Paint, which I'm using this evening to draw Judge Parker. And. Once again, we'd like to thank Steve Connolly for his technical support and, of course, my brother Dave Manley for the awesome theme music. See you next week.